God be the glory, great things He has done. So lovely the world that He gave us His Son to yield in His life and atonement for sin and open the life gates that all may go in. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give Him the Bibles this morning, please, to the book of James again. 
uh, the first chapter, James chapter 1. You just never know what you're going to see in the news these days. Have you noticed that? Uh, this is an actual, uh, real news story that I read this past week. The headline read in part, Pennsylvania man with red sauce on his face arrested for meatballs theft. Um, I'll read you the article. A Pennsylvania man was caught red-faced after a neighbor reported a stolen pot of meatballs, authorities said. Lehman G.R. Potter was arrested Monday on burglary, trespassing, and theft charges for allegedly walking off with a mess of the Italian mainstay, according to state police. A homeowner told investigators he returned home around 2.30 p.m. to find a man with red sauce on his face and clothes was standing outside his house. When the owner walked into his garage, he realized a pot of meatballs was missing. Troopers responding to his call found an empty pot in the street. Potter was arrested at his home a short time later, authorities said. It wasn't clear what led troopers to him. He was held at Luzerne County Correctional Facility in lieu of $25,000 bail. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Can you just picture how all that played out that day? I'm trying to picture this in my mind. Was he just walking along down the street, down the sidewalk, and maybe just the scent of those meatballs cooking just wafted through the air, and it stopped him in his tracks, and he just took a deep breath in. He was just overwhelmed with the deliciousness of it all. And I guess maybe he followed his nose to the place where those delicious balls of meat were. And maybe he looked around and he popped one in his mouth and looked around again. Then he grabs the pot and he runs out there somewhere near the street, I guess, and he starts eating this whole bunch of meatballs. And then somehow he throws or puts the pot out in the street. He's there and the man comes home. He's covered in uh, sauce and it landed him in jail. Now, I think we can fairly assume that that particular morning when Mr. Potter awoke, when he woke up a day, I bet you this thought never crossed his mind, you know, today I'm going to steal a pot of meatballs. <laughs> I bet you never, ever had that thought. But before he knew it, there was a temptation placed before him, and he yielded to that temptation. And by the way, as he was eating the meatballs, because it looks like he ate them all, they were really good. They tasted really good. It was pleasurable. But just a little while later, they became very bitter tasting, didn't they? Because it landed him in jail. It messed up his day. It messed up his life, if you will. And isn't that one of the problems, beloved, with temptations? They pop up when you're not even looking for them. Like a fish swimming along there. And he's just minding his own business. And he's just having a great day there in the pond or wherever he is. And all of a sudden, there is a temptation there's that delicious-looking creature that swims in front of him, and there's a decision that must be made. Will he yield to the temptation, or will he yet let it just pass on by? You know, it's already just a little bit after 11.30, and I dare say that the majority of people here, you've already dealt with temptation this morning. Uh, you might have been tempted to be angry with your family or family members as you were wrestling and struggling and hustling this morning to get to church or Sunday school on time. 
Uh, you might have already been tempted to share just a little bit of a tiny bit of gossip as you were sharing prayer requests this morning. You were going to share the prayer requests and maybe just a little extras to it. You might have already been tempted to look at a member of the opposite sex in a lustful way. You might have been tempted already to have a proud thought as you sat there in your Sunday best and you noticed somebody else came in. You say, I can't believe they wore that to church. And, and on and on it goes. We deal with temptation. We don't go looking for them. We don't go searching for them. We don't go hunting for them necessarily. We're just there and all of a sudden the temptation presents itself. You're walking down the road and you get that whiff of meatballs cooking and there's a decision that must be made. And by the way, none of us are immune. None of us can isolate fully ourselves uh, from being tempted. Even our Lord Jesus taught us to pray what? Uh, not to give into temptation and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. In fact, even Jesus was tempted, it says, but he never sinned. And so I want to talk with you this morning about a very vital topic, a topic that applies to everyone, everywhere, all the time, and that is dealing with temptation. How do we deal with temptation? And so you've got your Bibles open again to the book of James. If you were here last week, you know we started this new series, Practical Christian Living. And last week we talked about how to handle trials. And I pray that that lesson was helpful this past week as you face various trials. And I hope you're thinking about this and discussing it and using that discussion guide I've given you, talking about it as a family. And uh, be sure to grab that and use it as we're going through the notes this morning. But James has one more thing here to say about trials in verse 12. And if you look at verse 12, it says in verse 12 of James 1, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Uh, in this context, he's talking about trials, testings. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In other words, we'll be rewarded in heaven with rewards if we endure these trials. And beloved, that's an encouragement. You know, we said last week that uh, trials are a blessing to believers if they're handled correctly. Trials are a blessing to believers if they're handled correctly. They're used to mature us and to grow us and to prove us and to help us and to mold us and shape us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're a blessing to believers if they're handled correctly. But that comment presupposes something, doesn't it? It means that we can handle a trial incorrectly. It means that a trial, instead of being a blessing to us and a help to us, it can actually become a burden to us. In reality, beloved, if we're not careful, uh, we're going to see in the verses we're going to study today that trials can actually lead us into sin if we do not handle them in a correct way, in a biblical way. A trial can lead us to sin. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, as one author wrote, every trial brings a temptation with it. Every trial brings a temptation with it. When we face financial difficulty, no money problems, we're tempted to distrust God's provision. When someone near to us and dear to us dies, we're tempted to question God's love for us. Um, when we experience unjust suffering or persecution or uh, unjust problems, we're tempted to question God's justice. In fact, we can go even so far in the midst of a trial to blame God for the sinful choices that we're making and we decide to make it our own. We can try to pass the blame of what we're doing. 
we can use phrases, and people do like this. Well, God made me this way, and that's why I did whatever it was. Or, or, or God allowed me to be put into this situation, and, and therefore I stand. Or, or God gave these desires to me, and, and therefore I'm just trying to fulfill these desires. In fact, we find that goes on very early in the history of humanity. When our parents, way back in the Garden of Eden, uh, they sinned, uh, we know that uh, God came to find them. He knew where they were, but he came to them, seeking them out. And uh, when he finds them, they begin to pass the blame. Uh, in fact, uh, jot the reference down. I want to read it to you in the New Living Translation. Uh, Adam and Eve have sinned. They've eaten the forbidden fruit. They've gone and hidden themselves. They've made themselves uh, leaf closed, if you will, that you're trying to cover their nakedness. And, and God says to them in Genesis 3, beginning of verse 11, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And I want you to hear their response. Verse 12 says, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me. It was that woman. But you notice it's even worse than that. Listen to what he says carefully. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. God, it's your fault. For you brought that woman on the sea. I hadn't eaten the fruit, but it's the woman. Verse 13, then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Somebody said that God blamed Adam Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. But anyway, um, <laughs> passing the blame, passing the buck. It's not me, it's them. It's the woman. No, it's the serpent. No, God, it's you. You're the one that led to this. Well, I want you to see, beloved, that James corrects that notion. We cannot blame God. And by the way, we can't even ultimately blame Satan. Because I want you to notice together today the source of temptation. And if you'll pick up your reading there at verse 13. We just read verse 12. Now we're going to pick up at verse 13. Notice the Bible says, Let no one say when he is tempted, implied he or she, anyone, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You see, beloved, this is not just a trial from the outside causing pressure upon us. This is a temptation from the inside. This is a temptation to evil. This is a temptation to sin, to do wrong, to disobey God. And it's interesting, in this whole passage we're going to read today, the devil is not mentioned. Now, James is going to talk about the devil later on in the book, and we'll study that, God willing, when we get there. But here he talks to, about the individual. He talks about you, he talks about me, and he talks about God. And when it comes to the source of temptation, I want you to notice, first of all, that our temptation is not from God. Our temptation is not from God. James is clear here that we are not tempted to do evil by God. In fact, beloved, it says it's very clear about the character of God. He cannot even be tempted by evil. And he doesn't tempt anyone to evil. You see, when Jesus said to pray this prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, he's telling us to pray that we don't fall into temptation. We need his help. We need his enablement. We need his power. We need his help as we go through life. Now, it is true that God tests us. 
It is true that God uh, proves us and matures us, but God never tempts us to do evil, nor can he be tempted to do evil because he's pure and holy and righteous and just. And so temptations that come in our life are not from God. Here's the reality. They're actually from our own desires. Verse 14 is a very important verse, and I want you to look at it again. It says, but each one is tempted when he or she is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, I want to balance this in your mind for a moment. And I want you to hear me clearly. Our normal desires are God-given desires. Everyone here has a desire to eat, to drink, to sleep. God has given sexual desires. God has given all these God-given things. And all these desires are right and good and wholesome and pure if they're met within God's boundaries. If they're met within God's guidelines. The trouble is when we try to satisfy our God-given desires outside of God's will, outside of God's desires, or God's uh, uh, design. To quote Wearsby, eating is normal. Gluttony is sin. Sleep is normal. Laziness is sin. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And so it's not the problem necessarily with the normal desires that God's given us. The temptation is to meet those desires outside of God's boundaries, outside of God's will. And so the issues within us, it's an inside job. And that's why you can't flee it. You can become a monk and move to a cave somewhere, but guess what? You took those desires with you, and they're there, and they're going to surface, and temptations are going to arise in your life. Mark down this reference. These are the words of the Lord Jesus, Mark 7, 21 through 23. Listen to what Jesus says. For from within, out of the heart of men, so the inside of us, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, Adulteries, fornications, murderers, uh, excuse me, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. That's an ugly picture. But that's what the Lord Jesus says. These things come from within. And so when these inward desires that we have meet an outward temptation, we have a choice to make. Are we going to yield and sin or not? You have a desire to eat. You're walking along one day and you come upon a pot of meatballs that does not belong to you. What do you do? You have a desire. It's a God-given desire. But they're not yours. And it's wrong. It's illegal, it's immoral, it's sinful for you to go and steal those things. What do you do? Now you realize as a Christian, as a Christian you don't have to sin. We do sin, but we don't have to. As a Christian, beloved, we choose to sin. Mark this reference down, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We had this in the Joshua Code years ago. If you did the Joshua Code, which is a memorized Bible verses, do you remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13? No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. 
But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, there's always an escape hatch. You don't have to yield to temptation. You don't have to sin as a believer. There's a way of escape. And sometimes the best way to escape is to turn around and run the other way. The temptation, beloved, is not sin. Please understand that. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, but without sin. You see, it's giving in to the temptation where the sin enters. And beloved, when we do, a cycle begins. It's a deadly cycle. Did you notice there in verse 15? It says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It's an interesting image here. Birthing sin. And sin, when it's full grown, when it grows up, brings forth death. It's an ugly picture. It reminds us that sin kills. It brings forth death. John Kirsten said it so well. Sin always brings forth death. Every time, sin kills relationships. It will destroy happiness. It will ruin health. When you want to tell kids how serious sin is and what sin does, the best thing you can do is to take them to the cross of Calvary and say, look at this wonderful, perfect, loving person and see him on the cross in agony and pain and blood. It was when Jesus became sin for us that he died for sin always brings death. And if you say, I don't know about that, go look at the cross. It was our sin that brought about Calvary and the need for the Lord Jesus to die. We have to realize this, to take heed, to be fully aware. We must not be deceived in this matter. Verse 16 says it. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived by this. Sin kills. It's evil. It's wicked. It's harmful. While it might be pleasurable for a moment, it ultimately leads to death. You see, we think that if we give in to our desires and and try to fulfill them in a sinful way, in a way outside of God's boundaries, then we'll be pleased and we'll be satisfied and we'll be happy and, and we'll be fulfilled. In other words, we go looking for life and we end up with death when we give in to sin. So how do we resist these temptations? Because everybody here faces them. I could ask that. How many of you face temptation? Raise your hand. I'm not going to do that, but there's a temptation even. Well, I don't know if I'm going to raise my hand or not. Somebody might think bad of me. Temptation to lie about it. All of us face temptation. So how do we deal with it? Well, we don't have time to examine all that the Bible has to say about this. We could talk about the importance of the Word of God and, and following God's instructions and hiding God's Word in our heart. We could talk about prayer. We need to be praying for strength and help. The Lord Jesus said to pray about temptation. We can talk about the Holy Spirit who indwells us and helps us. We don't agree with the Holy Spirit and we want to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We could examine the example of Jesus, our greatest example, who is tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. We could study the bad examples in the Bible. We could go look at um, uh, those who failed and those who sinned and those who gave in to sin. We could go study some good examples of those who did not fall into sin and temptation. But since we're here in James, let's stay in James. 
And here in this passage, there's a tremendous help to resisting temptation, to resisting these times that come in our life where we are considering whether or not to give in to sin. And I want to show you in the next few minutes, beloved, a wonderful help. In fact, I think one of the greatest helps when it comes to temptation, and that I want to show you is the source of true satisfaction. The source of true satisfaction. Now, I don't know why I've never seen this as powerfully as I saw it this past week. But this, my eyes were opened in a greater way than ever before when I continued studying this passage. And I guess it's because I often take this verse and I think about it apart from its context. That is where it lives. You see, one of the reasons that we sin and give in to temptation is because we forget about the goodness of God. We forget about the fact that true satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. We forget verses like Psalm 1611 that says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And beloved, when we forget who God is and how good God is, we become very susceptible to sin in our lives. Have you ever noticed, by the way, when you're studying that passage we read from earlier where Adam and Eve sinned and they gave in and they ate the forbidden fruit, have you ever thought about the conversation that the devil there represented with that serpent had with Eve? Have you ever noticed as you studied that or heard that read that uh, he attacks the Word of God and the goodness of God? You ever thought about that? Let me read those verses to you. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. See, subtle, crafty. He attacks God's Word. You will not surely die. He denies God's Word. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. I don't know how a snake sounds. I'm just trying here. Alright? It sounds very... Alright? For God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see what he's saying there? He's attacking the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, and he's attacking the good, goodness of God. Basically saying what? Listen, Eve, God's holding out on you. You're not going to die. You're going to be like God. He's holding out on you. And he attacks the Word of God. He attacks the goodness of God. And in the midst of all this talk of temptation, you're back in James now, chapter 1, verse 17. Here's the verse that God opened my eyes to in a greater way than ever. James 1, 17. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, beloved, God is the true source of satisfaction. He's given us Jesus Christ, and in receiving Christ, we receive all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. You see, what happens is people go looking for something to scratch that itch that they have in their life, that desire, that longing. And they go and try all kinds of stuff. They try drugs and alcohol and money and power and sex and position and, and all kinds of stuff. Things that are not necessarily bad, but they go to excess and make idols of them. 
And things that are horrible and lewd and, and, and wicked and evil. And they're trying to find a, a scratch for that itch in their life. And, and they try and try and try, but there's no satisfaction. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the one they're looking for. Jesus Christ is the one they need. He's the source of true satisfaction and true meaning and true joy. Do you know Him as Lord and Savior today? Have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, come today. Be saved today. But beloved Christian, we too, we too forget the goodness of God. We forget that all those good gifts He has waiting for us come from Him and we begin, if we're not careful, to try to meet those God-given desires in sinful ways. I want you to look at what it says about God in this passage. Continue reading there. Verse 17 again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth. We might be a kind of first fruits of His creation Look at what it says about God there. It says He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And beloved, that means He is generous and He is gracious to us. He, every good thing in your life, its source is found in God. Every good gift that you have, the source is God. He's a good God. He's generous. He's gracious. Notice it says a very interesting phrase. It says He comes down from the Father of light. The lights there would be the lights of creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's a reminder that He is the creator of life. He is the sustainer of life. The beautiful weather that we enjoy, uh, that's a gift from God. The sunshine that you enjoy, that's a gift from God. The rain, um, all these wonderful things we enjoy, they're gifts from God. He's the good God. He's the gracious God. He's a generous God. He's the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. And did you notice this verse there that He... Uh, there's no variation or shadow of turning with God. The Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is, our God is unchanging. And I don't know about you, but I'm so blessed by that because I find that people are fickle and people are moody. Can't we be moody? I mean, tell us about it, can't we? Up one, one moment, down another. Snap your head off one moment and hug your neck the next. I mean, we're moody. We, we change. We vacillate. But God is unchanging. He's always the same. He never changes the same yesterday, today, and forever. And did you notice here that He is full of grace? Why? Because we don't deserve these things. The only thing we deserve is hell. Condemnation and judgment. That's all we deserve. But it's of His grace and mercy gives us all these things. And of course, one of the greatest gifts of all is the gift of salvation. The gift of His Son. And it's talked about in the very next verse, verse 18. Look at it again. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. We might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. It was His own will that saved us. The word of truth, the gospel was preached to us. And those of us who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, it says we become the first fruits of His creatures. Say, so what does that mean, preacher? Well, I think the meaning is this, beloved. We Christians are kind of like an example or the first fruits, or the first part, it is evidence of what is coming as one day God is going to make all things new. Do you know there's coming a day we won't deal with temptation? All things will be perfect. We're the Father in heaven and the new heaven and new earth. And he's, we're kind of the first fruits. The beginning of that work, if you will. Our God is a good God. 
And every good gift and every perfect gift comes from Him. And it's when we forget about His goodness we get in trouble. We forget about the source of our satisfaction being the Lord. We get in trouble. We go looking for something. We, we, we have an itch. We can't get scratched. And we need to come to the Father who has pleasures at His right hand forevermore and fullness of joy. What are we saying today when it comes to temptation? Well, let me share and close with a story this morning. A, a governor in the South years ago, I understand, once visited the inmates of a state penitentiary. And as he was talking with one, one inmate after another, he heard excuses as to why these men were behind bars. You see, some of them blamed the predicament on the environment in which they grew up. You know, they had a tough environment. And, and others attributed their incarceration to the fact that they never had a chance to get an education. They, they just never had a chance to, to learn and to grow in their knowledge. And, and still others, they, they blamed uh, the wrong companions, wrong friends, the the wrong people around them and their influences. And so he's hearing these stories one after another after another from all these inmates and all the excuses of why they're behind bars. And finally, the governor visited with a young man who simply said, and I quote the prisoner, I'm here because I broke the law. It's no one's fault but my own. I'm paying my debt to society and I trust that someday I shall be forgiven my wrongdoing. End quote. Well, the governor left the prison that day and he went back to his office. You know what he did? He wrote out a pardon for that young man. And it, before he sent the pardon, he attached a personal note to the pardon. And the personal note read like this. I'm pardoning John because I don't want him to stay in that prison and corrupt all those innocent people. We've got to quit denying it, beloved. We need to admit it. Our main trouble is not out there. Our main trouble is right here. From within. We've got to realize the biggest problem we have with ourselves is ourselves. We're our biggest problem. And we've got to quit looking everywhere else for satisfaction and, and to fulfill our longing and significance and satisfaction and realize it can only be found in Jesus Christ. And if we'll do those things, fully own up and say, you know what, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord. And then realize that the thing I'm looking for is not a thing, it's a person. It's Jesus. And we get our joy in Jesus and our satisfaction in Jesus and our meaning in Jesus and our significance in Jesus and our purpose and value in Jesus. That will go a long way in helping us to deal with temptation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you that you are the one that we're searching and longing for. Father, we need your help because you know we face temptations every single day, all throughout the day. Help us, Lord, to turn to you, to look to you, and find the joy in you. I pray if anybody here today is hiding sin in their heart, that they would come clean right now with you and Confess that and get right. 
Father, I pray if anyone here does not know you, that during this invitation song, you would draw them to yourself. Allow us to take a Bible and help them as they go to the cross and to Christ. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, I think, is an appropriate one as we talk about looking to the Lord. 320, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. The altar is open today. If you need to be saved, we'd love to help you with that. If you want to come pray, we'd love to pray with you if you'd like us to. Or you can come pray on your own. You let us know as you come if we can assist you in some way. But 320, let's stand together and sing as the altar is open. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Mm-hmm.